You're listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Lubbock, Texas. Redeemer Church is a gospel-centered, missional family of disciples making disciples and churches planting churches. If you would like to get more information or donate to this ministry, please visit RedeemerLubbock.org. Well, good morning, everybody. Let me uh, hype you guys up, 8.30 service. Uh, By the way, I'm Dusty, one of the pastors here. I was out last week preaching at a French church here in town. But give you guys some credit, this service was almost like normal numbers. Um, and so incredible that you braved all the snow and ice. You're like, well, I didn't. I was at home. But a lot of you did. And so a lot of respect on that. And I'm glad to be back. Uh, today's a really big day in the life of Redeemer that I think it has one of those those opportunities to be a defining uh, day for us. Whenever we kind of run run through, um, you know, Redeemer's highlight reel and like, oh, that was a big moment. That I think today has an opportunity for that, that we have our advanced commitment night tonight. So uh, for those of you that are ready to like lead out in uh, making a commitment and what's next for Redeemer. So like, I just think it's going to be a big deal, a chance to go view the land that we've purchased that we, you know, in, in good faith and hope that, um, that for another campus down the road, as well as a really special service here, you'll hear the details, but I'm, I'm really, really fired up about it. So um, we are um, in Philippians today and Philippians 2, it's a really interesting passage. And if you heard Johanna read that, there's a lot about Jesus being humble and, and we ought to try to be like Jesus. That's where, not to like go and tell you the point of the whole sermon, but that's pretty much the point of Philippians 2. And, but I was reflecting on it, like why this is such an important topic is that um, we, we just tend to, be, uh, tend to be pretty much the opposite of that. And uh, we tend to be, uh, would be the opposite of being humble, I would say, would be just being self-absorbed with very big sense of self is where we tend to live. And we talk about that from time to time just because the Bible has such a robust, very, uh, very full picture of what's wrong with humanity, like what's wrong with us. And it helps us understand and I would say self-absorption is probably at the very top of the list. Now, Tim Keller's pointed this out, and several others I've read over the years have as well, that Keller pointed out that it's interesting that you know, for pretty much all of human history, and I would even say good chunks of the world even right now, the big thing that people try to parent their kids um, in is uh, like try to the thing that they're most worried about is that there would be this overgrown sense of self and uh, and they are they're working very hard to be like hey you represent all of us here and now we need to quiet down that big that big that big maybe even big personality that big sense of self we need to quiet that down we need to discipline that out of you because you represent this family you represent this community you represent uh, this whole country and so th- there's this sense of hey we, we need to we need to the number one job of a parent is to dial back sense of self and to maybe dial up a sense of belonging to community and how you represent other people. And that, that would be how things have been done for a whole long time. They would see the biggest threat to, um, to like what would ruin a child into adulthood is an overgrown sense of self. Now, I would say that most Americans, how we tend to see things, the thing that we're the most afraid of is low self-esteem. And that you can see it come out in a lot of different ways. If a if coach doesn't play your kid, we're like, that's going to hurt his or her feelers. And that would be the worst thing ever is for them to feel badly about themselves. And if they feel badly about if you get if you give them a bad grade, forget about what they earned or what all that, but if you give them a bad grade, they're going to feel bad about themselves. They're going to have a poor sense of self-esteem. And how are they going to accomplish anything in life if they're not confident? And, and the reality is, I'm actually not, um, I, I think there's probably some strength to both of these approaches. There's threats on both of these things that I think 
overinflated pride and sense of self is a problem. We're going to talk about that. I think there's also a problem in um, a lack of confidence that, um, that not, not having a sense of, no, I can do this, and a sense of self-assurance. That could be a beautiful thing as well. But my point is, I think that right now, while all cultures have, had, have dealt with self-absorption, can we agree that we are like other people, but maybe more so? in this regard, you know, um, everybody struggles with it, but us maybe more so whatever needed to be encouraged, you know, a couple thousand years ago to the church at Philippi needs to be encouraged way more with us. And just as one last little anecdote on this, that I just saw this recently, someone had forwarded this to me. Do you know the number one career choice right now for Gen Z's? Number one, like if you say, um, Hey, what's the number one thing that they want to do? Um, let me give you a hint, not doctor, not nurse, not teacher, not firefighter, not police officer, not even like make-believe ones like astronaut or something like that, uh, not president of the United States. The number one is social media influencer. That is the number one most common Gen Z career choice. Now, here's the thing. I'm actually not bagging on being a, an influencer. It could be, you could be humble and be an influencer. You could um, have a lot of beautiful influence that's leveraged well. But I think it is significant that the number one thing um, out of all of the things that one could be, that that's the spot that we tend to gravitate towards where you'd have lots of followers. Again, it could be, it could be uh, done in a beautiful way, but I think it does speak a little bit to um, kind of the self-absorption and even a sense of brand and following and so on and so forth. So it is interesting. And so what we're going to be talking about today is what is the way of Jesus and is there a better way that's laid out um, in, uh, in Philippians that might help us. And again, the tone of Philippians is not so much corrective, um, even though I do think there's some implicit correction for us on this, but, uh, but more of like an encouragement of, hey, let's be like Je- Jesus. Let's follow the way of Jesus. And then as we've been doing for these few weeks in this all-in series, we're going to apply, uh, apply this specifically, even in the area of generosity. And I think you'll see why there's so much benefit uh, for us going down this road um, on our discipleship of following Jesus. So let's go ahead and walk back through this passage and um, see if there's a better way than, of self, than self-absorption in it. And I love this passage so much. Um, I mean, I, I say that every week in Philippians because this is just an awesome book. Um, so encouraging. So here we go. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. So it's like, hey, look, if you've been encouraged in the Lord and if the Holy Spirit has, has helped you and if you've been encouraged by what Christ has done, his death and his resurrection and even the nature of who Jesus is, which will come up a little bit uh, in this passage, uh, verse two, it says, complete my joy by being of the same mind. So he's calling them to, there would be a reflection, not because there's a major problem, but saying in how you relate with one another, that uh, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. So in other words, that there'd be a kind of love that's expressed relationship-wise that, you know, if you've been encouraged by Jesus, so there's a tie. That's why Redeemer calls ourselves a gospel-centered missional family. Because of the gospel of Jesus, if you've been encouraged because of Jesus, if you've participated in the Holy Spirit, um, the love of the Father, if you're receiving all of those things, Father, Son, Spirit, while working in concert, if you've enjoyed these things, then, um, then let's live this out in how we treat one another relationally and how we do everything in the Christian life. Um, the co- contrast here, verse number three, is do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. So there's the self-absorption. So there's the corrective is, hey, let's not, let's not be self-absorbed. Um, let's not have selfish ambition. But in humility, count others more significant uh, than yourselves. 
And verse four builds on that. Let each of you um, look not only to your own interests, but also into the interests of others. So you see how all this is building and saying, hey, look, instead of it being all about me, and needing to get everyone to be backup singers where I'm the lead vocalist and that, that, that my whole life is that way. I've got scripts that I hold right here of how everyone's supposed to be acting all the time and relating with me. I'm not going to give it to them, but I've got my expectations of them all. But it's not, uh, it's not me trying to build this sense of self and brand that I need you guys to all affirm, but it's actually, look, I actually want to consider your needs as at least as significant as mine, if not more so. And so the question is, is how we're going to motivate that kind of behavior? Because it'd be really tempting. Like what I'd be tempted here to be um, is like all like wagging my finger and come on, man, let's pick it up. And we ought to be better than this. And this, this isn't good. And start thinking about somebody else. Quit being so selfish. That would be the temptation here, right? And honestly, we can parent like that a lot of quit being like this, be like that. And it's not untrue, but I just think it's really significant though, that uh, right after it says, Hey, look, let's not only look after our own interests, but look after the interest of others there's going to be a foundational reason why and even a resource for doing it, which I think is incredible. Um, something beautiful that Paul's going to hold up. Again, this is the tone of Philippians, not just, you know, wagging the finger, but here, here is the reason why. Here's the reason why. Verse 5. Um, Have this mind among yourselves. So this mind of humility, counting other people's, uh, other people's needs is more significant than yourselves. All of that being in one accord, one, uh, one mind. Um, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So his, his reason for, uh, for this humility is not you ought to be better and you ought to be ashamed of yourself and y'all are so selfish and come on, social media influencer, please, or whatever. Like there's none of that. There's no shaming, uh, but rather it's like, hey, it's actually, this mind is actually already yours. If you're a Christian, I realize some of you may not be, you may have not trusted Jesus, but I'm hoping this is gonna be really like wooing you in today to see this is what could be if you were to follow Jesus. And I love this. Uh, it says, who? Now it's just going to say, okay, so this is yours in Christ Jesus. What's yours? Like, what was Jesus like? And how might he change how we view self and view others and all that? And that's what's going to happen here. Who, though he was in the form of God, um, he's fully God. So that's one of the things the Bible teaches. So if some of you are like, yeah, they invented the Trinity years later. I don't know, man. It seems like it's pretty much right here in the New Testament. Um, you've already in this one passage had Jesus referenced and connecting him to like divinity and the Holy Spirit's referenced. And this is like really early on, um, you know, within a generation of Jesus's death. And it said, did not account equality with God, a thing to be grasped. So he's God, but it's, he didn't feel like he needed to flex that and um, be like, yeah, I'm, I'm God. Um, and uh, I don't have anything to do with any of you people, uh, but rather look at what happens here in verse seven. He emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So what this is getting at is there's a lot of different ways to handle authority and power and, and, um, and an incredible sense of who, who Jesus is and who he was and who he will be. It's, it's always the same, is that he actually emptied himself and he took human form and was born as a baby, which is incredible whenever you think about that. Like that's, that's the wonder of Christmas, of why it is every year we take a stop and we just, we just reflect on how incredible it is that God 
who created us with his words and created molecules and planets and star systems that he chose to come here as a baby. And there's several in the service right now that need to, they don't sleep and they, they require constant attention and all of that. That's actually how the God of the universe came into this, into this planet and being born in the likeness of men. Verse eight, and being found in human form. And this is what's even incredible, even more, is it was humbling enough to come as a baby, but he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And you want to talk about something that destroys pride? And this is why Paul's mentioning it here. It's okay. So we have this overgrown sense of self. Well, I've got an antidote for that. How about Jesus? That actually, if anybody could flex in the whole world about who they are, it would be Jesus. And he chose to empty himself, take on human form, and he became obedient to the Father and obeyed all of God's laws, the thing that no Israelite or any of us could ever do, obey all of God's laws and commands. He obeyed all of them perfectly and was obedient to the point of death on the cross. And then there was a resurrection from the dead. And that's what he did. He emptied himself and took that humble form and died in your place. This is what we call the gospel message. It's the hope of Christianity is that you have not been good enough. And um, we are sick. We're cracked in the head, all those things. And yet um, that God took our place and he um, became obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And I love that. That's the first eight verses of what we've looked at already. And I think this is really powerful stuff that uh, Paul holds up something valuable and beautiful, namely, uh, namely Jesus here. And um, we, we, this is the call is let's be like Jesus. That's really the case he's making is not you ought to be ashamed of yourself, um, cut it out, uh, quit thinking so high of yourself, uh, be better, none of that. Um, it's like, yeah, that's a problem, but uh, we want to be, be in the way of Jesus. We want to follow Jesus. Let's become like Jesus by grace. And I think this is just very different than um, our self-absorbed way that we tend to live. And I think we have to agree that this kind of self-absorption has caused us problems in almost every, um, every regard. If you think about your major snags in life, um, self-absorption probably played a major role. It probably hasn't helped you in your career when you've tried to self-promote, um, when you've, you've kind of gotten your own way there. It probably hadn't helped you in your marriage um, whenever you're like, no, look at all I do and what are you doing and all that. Like, uh, none of those things have probably helped you in almost any regard when you have an overgrown sense of self. And I would make the case, while we try to apply this in the area of generosity, that, um, that it probably hasn't helped you there either. So let's focus on what would humility look like and the thing that we're dialing in for the next few weeks in generosity. Right, so here's the thing. I'm going to make a case that, um, that whenever, uh, whenever we consider a humble posture to the Lord in regards to finances... That, and we ought to be thinking about this in every area because he said, let's be, let's be humble and follow the way of Jesus, be disciples of Jesus in every regard, um, that, that we want to apply this in every area, including in our financial lives, that um, can you agree with me that if you don't give for whatever reason, would you agree that that is probably a prideful response? Would you agree with that? Uh, because here's the case, at least for me, every time I think about either whether I'm starting giving or increasing giving or something like that to, to meet a need, uh, to serve the ministry of the church or anything like that, that um, every time that I think about it, it's always in contrast of, oh man, 
Um, here's this home project that would really be really great. We would really enjoy if we could add that on or do this thing, or here's a trip we could do, or we could eat out and not think about it, or something like that, that every time I'm thinking about giving, it's always at a certain level like a confrontation in a way of, some, of really a sense of self and some things I want for me that I want to be able to do either now or I want to save for in the future and spend those things on me down the road. And um, so and the reality is, statistically speaking, there's r- roughly half of us here today that really don't give at all, whether to the church, um, charitably, to needs. And, um, and the reality is, I think we have to, to walk down this road. And this is why this is such a beautiful conversation uh, to have and why we wanted to do it in this five-week all-in series is to spend some time on this because it it necessarily touches the very core of our being. Because whenever you think about giving, it probably has some kind of an emotional response in you. Like it either made you mad and be like, oh man, another preacher talking about money. Boy, that's on brand, you know, or something like that. Um, Or uh, or you're you're fearful about if I did this, then are we ever going to move into this kind of house? And if I did this, then what about this? And could I make it if I don't have some of these creature comforts And, and on and on and on? It's tied to what we're afraid of in the future. The money represents a hedge against those things that we're afraid of. It represents what we're afraid of. It can make us mad. It can make us happy. All of those things. And so um, there, there's no way to even have a conversation about, about giving and even talking specific numbers about what you're going to give. There's no way to do it without addressing self-absorption. There's no way to do it because it's necessarily saying, I'm going to dial me back in dollars and cents. I'm going to dial me back and I'm going to dial God up. And um, again, it's that following this, this route of Jesus that's laid out here in Philippians 2 in a beautiful way. Uh, <clears throat> I love that. Have this mind, have this mind among yourselves, it says in verse 5, which to me is, is maybe the key, key verse of all of it. It's already yours in Christ Jesus. Have this mind among us. Dial our sense of self down and then dial a sense of Jesus up. Now, here's the thing. While I think that's a really important conversation, and that's half of the conversation in this room, Jesus talked about money all the time, more than any other topic in the four gospel accounts. And I think this is why, is he knows it's getting to a core part of our being, what we love, what we're afraid of, all of that. He, he, know, he knew it would hit emotions, and it would address self-absorption, it addresses sin, all of that. Here's the thing, though. Jesus had a very nuanced take on it, because um, that's not the only form of pride in giving which is, you know, someone that isn't giving or giving very little, uh, that's not the only way that pride would express itself. Jesus also, in the Sermon on the Mount and in other, like, little analogy, story-type things that he would tell, also confronts a different kind of pride. And this is what, it's like you kind of have to thread the needle on this whole conversation. Like, you never get to go on autopilot, ever, in regards to generosity or any other area of obedience. And I think that's good. We don't ever become self-reliant. We're always going to depend on the Lord's grace all the way until we're done. And here's what I mean. Like in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus would say, hey, um, give, yes, but don't give like the hypocrites do because they loved, um, they loved to be known that they give, you know? Um, they're, uh, they loved it. They loved, they're focused on the output of how much they gave where they could kind of pat their, themselves on the back, and especially if other people knew how much they gave, which is, by the way, one reason we want to protect that from you is like, I don't ever know um, who gives. And in fact, all of our key leaders here don't know who gives what and all that. We want to protect that. That's something between you and the Lord. Uh, but the reality is it is so tempting for us Like there's half of the room I mentioned that don't give anything, but there's half of you that are like, dude, how can you not give anything? 
and I give a lot, you know, for whatever you make relative to that, you know, and like you're just incredulous at people that don't, and you feel really good because that number is big, bigger than it used to be, bigger than other people, and all of that, and especially if people know that you're generous, it feels really good, and, and Jesus warns here, and even he even has this, on one analogy, he tells a story contrasting a Pharisee and a tax collector, which I don't even know what that would be in our culture, like contrasting, um, contrasting, you know, deacon at church with, uh, with this person here that everybody hated that we're looked at as like the anti-Christian types and all that. And it said that the Pharisee was like really, really proud of himself. I tie this and I do this and I've got all this discipline and I'm not like these other people. And they're focused on this prideful sense of look at what I do. But he contrasted with the tax collector that didn't have a lot, but what they had, there was this sense of surrender, and it was this input of, of look, I, I'm dependent on the Lord, and even though their career in the past had been a whole lot of broken things, that there's a sense of reliance and dependence. And so this is what Philippians 2 is getting at, is that pride can be expressed on us holding on to, uh, holding on to our money, and we've got our excuses uh, about why it is, and it's because churches do this, and I've heard this, and I've heard the abuses of it, you've got all we've talked about booby traps for weeks where you've got all of these like little landmines and booby traps set up around this conversation on why it's okay for you to only spend money on you and all these reasons. We got our justifications for these things. And so that that's half of the room. But then the other half of the room feel really proud of themselves and we're on autopilot. And um, there's this call here. Uh, we're going to hear stories for these next several weeks on um, being, being uh, dependent and reliant on the Lord and not self-reliant and trusting him. And I actually want you to hear one of these stories right now because I think even hearing how this is playing out for people in different life stages and ways is really beautiful. So check out this story right now just as a reflection of what we're hearing today in Philippians 2. Generosity, uh, whenever I was growing up at uh, First Baptist Odessa, it was it was great, you know, like loved it. My dad, every you know, uh, every month he was given. Um, he never told me how much because you know he doesn't do that. But you know he was always given, and he said ten percent. You know, I had a job where I was mowing yards, so I was making some money. Uh, I didn't have a full time job. I was in high school, so I was just working enough to have something. And every time we got paid, he was like, "Hey, make sure you're setting aside that, you know, setting aside that portion uh, that you're going to be given." Whenever I came to Redeemer, I was like, hey, like, I don't have a job yet. I don't have money, so I'm going to give what I can. I'm going to give my time. I'm going to give the little bit of money that, that is uh, available to me that I can give. Um, and then I'm just going to, you know, be generous with the time I have and be generous with the abilities that the Lord's given me. I love serving in the kids at Redeemer. Um, I started in the three- and four-year-olds, uh, and then I got moved to the third-graders. And it's great uh, just coming in and hearing all their stories every week and just getting to have fun with them um, and just get to kind of just see their view of the gospel and just see how they view scripture and how, how young their faith is and just uh, getting to see kind of those things click in their mind um, as they start to understand that is that is awesome to see every Sunday, to see the, the lights being on, the, the gospel being shared, uh, to see the, the toys and the snacks and everything that we, that we get to give to them like that is that is a product of the generosity of the church just thinking like you know like this is going to have an eternal impact it could have an eternal impact on somebody else too like giving to those ministries and then that being sent out to somebody else and having that their lives changed because you gave a little bit because they because the church is able to fund that 
Like that's awesome. Yeah, I think I think giving's hard because you feel like you know you feel like you're losing something that you worked so hard for. Um, like even though you know it's like I'm giving a small portion, it's like man, like, that kind of hurts. You know, it's like I got I got bills to pay. You're like man, I gotta have something. You know, I gotta save something. But then you know you don't realize how much money you spend eating out until you start adding it up. Like I eat Chick Fil A a lot. Like. I've added up that money and you know it's like man if I hadn't spent all that I could have definitely given more if you're gonna be generous you gotta give up some stuff sometimes uh, but being generous with the gospel is like giving others the opportunity to have eternity you know to have the love of God for eternity you know it's like that's that's awesome to have that to have Jesus with him forever that's so cool, man. I love that. Eating Christian chicken, but even wondering there might be some time, you know, that you might not need to eat Christian chicken. Um, and even feeling the sting of that. Do you even feel some of the things we're talking about where it's like, hey, there might be some things that are good things. Nothing wrong with that that I might need to say no to. Um, and again, that sense of self and, hey, but I, I kind of have this coming to me, this meal, this trip, this whatever, because of how hard I've worked. I love that. And that's part of the reason why, and I'm, I'm hoping it makes sense on why this is like a, a spiritual gold at the end of all this conversation for you spiritually is, um, and why it is that we want every one of you to wrestle with the Lord and all of this conversation is that you're, it's just this question of priority and um, this question of what's going to be more important, me and my own comforts and my own desires. And have we even asked the Lord, um, you may feel real fine. I'm no, I'm, I'm not doing this or I'm, I'm set. We already decided on our giving four years ago and we're fine. Um, but this is just be the question uh, for us to consider. There's a commitment card in your, um, in your, your guide and hope that that'll be a tool of prayer and some of you will lead out even in it today and in, hum, in humility that we, um, we ask the Lord and ask him, uh, ask him what it looks like for us and just open up our whole soul to say, hey, look, we want to surrender to you and we want to be like Jesus in every regard. Uh, so let's move into uh, verse 9, and this is just where we're going to wrap things up, where this passage, so we've heard all about the humility of Jesus, and we want to be like Jesus um, because and through the grace of Jesus. These last few verses take an outward turn, and I love how this ends up. Therefore, uh, because of what Jesus has done, uh, God has exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every, name, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And I love this because here's what this is saying, is every person, every human being that has ever lived, current, past, future, all that, every knee is going to bow. And it's going to play out one of two ways. There's going to be a willing sense that hopefully um, many of us in this room that do love Jesus, that's going to be a heart of worship. We're going to bow our knee and we're going to say that Jesus is Lord and it's going to be worship that flows out of our heart and adoration of a faith that's already been active in us. But here's the reality. Across the world, every nation, all ethnicities, every this is why we send goers to every corner of the world, all this. It's why we plant churches throughout Texas and beyond. Is The reason we do this is that one way or the other, it may be like a, oh no, uh, Jesus is Lord, like this terrible realization that you did not trust Jesus in this life. It could be after death and even a, a statement of, of, okay, you're Lord, but I did not trust you in this life. Every knee is going to bow. That's the reality of what the scripture is going to say. And, um, and that's because of what Christ has done, because he emptied himself, because he was obedient to the Father, and because of his death on the cross, because of his resurrection from the dead. Um, and that's why, that's why even we want, um, Lord willing, to make room for more people 
in our city. We love the world. We love our state. We love our city. And we want to saturate Lubbock with the gospel of Jesus so that more people can hear the good news. That's, that's why we're doing what we're doing with a second sight, Lord willing. Uh, let's wrap it up with verse 12, uh, 12 and 13. Therefore, my beloved... Um, so it's saying, here's what Jesus says, and this is why he is to be honored and worshiped and will be acknowledged by all people everywhere. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work uh, for his good pleasure. So it's saying, hey, look, um, you, have this, you have this belief in Jesus and um, he's saying, because of all of this, because of who Jesus is, and we want to be like Jesus, we want to follow Jesus, um, now let's work. We have this salvation alive in us. Grace is alive in our hearts, all right? That's, the, that's what Christians, that's what makes us Christians, is that grace has changed who we are inside out. Now, let's work out. We have this grace alive in us. Let's work out our salvation with fear and trembling. We want to take this seriously. We want to, with great reverence, we want to consider the Lord and consider grace, and we want this to to go out and even follows that up. It's God who works in us. It's the same thing in verse 13, uh, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. And we want to do it in generosity, um, like the conversation we're having today. We want to do it uh, relationally and how we relate with one another. That for sure is in this passage. And this is what he does is we want this, we want this mind. Uh, we want this mind of humility and unity and love and surrender. And it's actually ours in Christ. It's already been given to us and we want to work this out in our money, in our relationships, in our mouth, what we, uh, what we consider, how we think about our future. And um, the 100% surrendered heart is why we're doing all of this. And I think it's what Philippians, it's not even yelling at us, but it's saying, hey, look, this self-saturated life has got us nowhere fast. In fact, the more we obsess about our future, the more depressed as a society we're getting, uh, the more unhealthy we get in almost every regard. And there's a way of freedom here that says, ooh, this is crazy. It didn't mean we don't take ourselves seriously or don't care for self, of course. But what would happen if God became bigger and we became less? And can you imagine the fruit if in every regard, um, if that were true in our lives, it's a path to freedom. And um, I believe that with everything that's in me. So I'm gonna pray. Lord, would you, um, would you give us this path of freedom um, where we would become less, still significant and loved, Yet, you would become greater. And Lord, let that be true financially for us, even in dollars and cents with commitments that um, there would be a, a freeing from the tyranny of self in that, uh, but in every regard, in how we treat our friends and how we um, operate in our marriages, how we parent, how we respond to parents, all that, that all these things would be a reflection of we want this mind in us and, um, and it's already ours that you would help us to work out our salvation and um, that there would be this beautiful act of grace in how we live. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.